Good evening, wherever you are and whenever you are. I want to talk to you today about autopilots. That's a should or an ought to that you've allowed to control your life, your relationships, or your career. This series will talk about identifying and disconnecting those shoulds and reclaiming your present and your future. My last podcast talked about autopilots in general terms, and I gave you some questions to begin your exploration into where autopilots have affected your lives. Today, I want to get down to a deeper relationship with them. We all have them. We've all created them ourselves and have allowed them to be created by others. A lot of us have roles we play in life, whether it's mother or father or spouse or husband or uncle or senior vice president, secretary, any one of a number of things. Everybody has a role to play. And as Shakespeare said, you know, all the world's a stage with all of the actors in it. I notice myself as I examine my many roles, my role as a parent or as a speaker or as a coach, podcaster, a graphic designer, any of those, even though I've chosen those particular paths, they seem to be defining me. And how does that affect us? Is it just another autopilot or is it a choice we make? And how do we really, really get clear on it? I know a lot of us are living lives, playing out roles, and they're not even our own choices. You know, you've heard the classic stories about the mother or the father or the grandparent that wanted their son or daughter to be a doctor or happily married with six kids and the white picket fence and a good career and that sort of thing. How many times have you looked at your career or your life and and thought, you know, is this my choosing or is it someone else's? Well, let's get back to being the one in charge, shall we? Now, I'm not saying to quit your job and tell your kids they're on their own or that sort of thing. I mean, it's time for us to take a look at the role you're playing and look at how it defines you. There's no good or bad here. It's just a what is, okay? So for almost 30 years, I was an administrative assistant, and who I was was what I was, was what I did. And it drove me nuts. It drove me absolutely nuts. I hated being in that position because at the time, it occurred to me I was doing all the work and not getting any of the credit. My bosses got all the credit. Now, a lot of those bosses I worked for, in my opinion at the time, were functionally illiterate idiots. (laughs) They were unable to write their own letters, create their own business documents. They couldn't spell to save their lives. And they were, you know, I had to translate the simplest forms so they could fill them out. But of course, that's what they hired me to do. I didn't understand it at the time. They hired me for my strengths, or at least those I'd been given the opportunity to demonstrate. And don't you think how I was feeling affected my attitude towards the J-O-B that kept my house and home together? Didn't affect how I interacted with those I dealt with every day, including those bosses I couldn't find the space within myself to respect 
course it did. You know, one of the things I'll have available on my website is a Laws for Success poster. And one of those laws, in fact, it's the very first one, is that you don't have to be the best when you can hire the best. I used to say it all the time, but I never gave it a second thought while I was working in a support capacity. I always thought I should do the work and get the credit since I did it so much better than they did. But it's only been with a little wisdom and hindsight that I've been able to see that they had hired the best to do the work, and I probably missed out on a lot of satisfaction by being distracted by my whining. And, well, as I'm fond of saying recently, hindsight is so last year. Little joke there since last year was 2020. Yeah, I know, very little. <laughs> but anyway, now that I'm running my own company, I can see what a value it would be to have somebody who knows what they're doing, needs no babysitting, and can run the show if anything happens to me. If I could clone myself, I would be so happy. But at the same time, I also understand then I'd be a miserable boss to work for. My level of expectation probably drive any decent assistant out of her mind. And although I do have a VA now, I guess I'd have to check with her on that. I'm sure that I do that to her all the time. So does your role as mother or a spouse dictate who you are as a woman? Or your role as a father, as a spouse, dictate who you are as a man? I know there are an awful lot of people out there that this is the case for. I did it myself for 18 years where I completely subverted everything I wanted to do in light of trying to get my daughter raised. My dreams were put on the back burner. I did what I had to do to survive because I was a mother and I had responsibilities to provide for another person. And it was more important for her to thrive. I could have my time later. Well, many, many years ago, when I was very, very naive, I was married briefly to my first husband, and I did all the things I thought a wife should do, you know, those things that I read about and watched on TV and formed what I should or ought to do. My marriage was an abusive relationship, and so <laughs> nothing I did was right anyway. And you know what? I took what I believed and what I experienced through that first time into my other relationships. And how many times has this pattern re repeated? Things we experience as children and believe to be the way things are, we carry with us into our lives, unchanging until something makes us change our perception of them. In my Create Your Life Toolkit, which I'll talk more about in a bit, I teach you how to look at those things that no longer serve you through a new, more mature frame of reference and determine if what you always thought was truth or an autopilot. The question I am asked most frequently is, how do you know if you're running on an autopilot? Well, let's look at that now. So did you ever ask yourself, where did you disappear to? Do you feel like you're stuck on a carousel or a Ferris wheel that lost its brakes, won't stop? Are you always in a hurry to get somewhere, but the destination keeps changing? Do you feel invisible? 
Is your life or your business running you instead of the other way around? These are questions we need to ask ourselves. We're always so sure of where we're going and what we'll find there. But as the days go on and we begin to work towards the goals we've set for ourselves, the road gets dusty and the horizon is always just beyond our reach. After a while, we get thirsty and sidetracked in all that dust, so we lose focus. And once we've lost that, it's rather like being on the inside of a hamster wheel. Are you doing what others say you ought to do? Or are you doing what your own heart and gut tell you to do? Are you doing what you tell yourself you ought to do? Or are you doing what your own heart and gut tell you to do? We're born knowing what we're here to do. I call it our original song, the one we're born to sing. Somewhere along the way, we lose track of that and start singing someone else's melody. When we do that, our original song fades into silence, and sometimes we forget to listen for it. There's a lot more of this further on, so keep going. Stop living the life others want you to live. Often, we're coerced into living others' missed opportunities and unrealized ambitions that we've been brainwashed into believing are our own. It's time to follow your own path. Write down your goals. Studies have revealed that people who write down their goals are five times more likely to achieve them. Would you like to start a new career? Go back to school? Leave your job? How much money would you like to have saved? Set goals and work backwards to achieve them. I talk about planifesting in the Launchpad section of my Created Life curriculum. Planifesting is planning to manifest and manifesting your plan. You need to figure out what you want to do and start talking about it. Bringing it into existence in the space around you. I believe we're all born as musical entities. And some of the first communication between parent and child is in the form of a melody. For some cultures, the music is more a part of who they are than others. Now, there are several versions of what Tolba Fanim, an African poet, has written, but I like this one the best. There's a tribe in Africa where the birth date of a child is counted not from when they were born, nor from when they were conceived, but from the day that that child was a thought in its mother's mind. When a woman decides that she will have a child, she goes off and sits under a tree by herself, and she listens until she can hear the song of a child that wants to come. And after she's heard the song of this child, she comes back to the man who will be that child's father. Then, make love to physically conceive the child. Some of that time, they sing the song of the child as a way to invite it. And then, when the mother is pregnant, the mother teaches that child's song to the midwives and the old woman of the village, so that when the child is born, the old woman and the people around her sing the child's song to welcome it. And then, as the child grows up, the other villagers are taught the child's song. And if the child fails or, or falls or hurts its knee, someone picks it up and sings its song to it. 
Or perhaps the child does something wonderful or goes through the rites of puberty and then as a way of honoring the person, the people of the village sing his or her song. When a child is born, the community gets together and they sing the child's song. Thus, when the child begins his education, people get together and he sings his song or her song. When you become an adult, they get together again and sing. When it comes to your wedding, this person gets to hear their song. Finally, when your soul is going from this world, family and friends are approaching. And like his birth, they sing their song to accompany it on the journey. In this African tribe, there is another occasion when men sing the song. If at some point the person commits a crime or an aberrant social act, they take you to the center of the town and the people of the community form a circle around them. And then they sing your song. The tribe recognizes that the correction for antisocial behavior is not punishment. It is the love and the memory of their true identity. When we recognize our own song, we have no desire to need or hurt anyone. Your friends know your song, and they sing it when you forget it. Those who love you cannot be fooled by mistakes you've committed or the dark images you show to others. They remember your beauty as you feel ugly. You're total when you're broken. Your innocence when you feel guilty and your purpose when you're confused. In our American culture, the music of the individual is not always so clearly a part of our lives, not to the extent the example I just read anyway. One memory keeps me enthralled, however. When I worked as a respiratory therapist, part of my job was assisting with problem deliveries, and I was there for over 200 births. Some were fine, nothing to write home about, but occasionally the baby was in trouble and had to be put into an NICU or natal intensive care unit. The therapists on night shift, including me, used to fight to go to the NICU on our lunch hours to hold the babies who were strong enough. And there was a nurse who ran the NICU that I loved to pieces. She had spent over 20 years as a military nurse. Yeah, she was a she was in Korea in a MASH unit and tough as nails when it came to dealing with all of us and the doctors. But hand her a problem infant and she was all gooey and mush. <laughs> she told us there were studies done that proved that babies at risk did better, got stronger, and went home with their family sooner when they were held, rocked, and sung to. So that's what we did. We held the tiny tykes, we rocked them, and we sang to them. Anything was fine, any melody, any words. They didn't seem to care what we sang. But they did respond to the human voice and the closeness, and they did thrive. We all have a personal DJ playing old scratch records with commentary that have the volume turned way up so we can still hear our original song under all the noise. But in straining to listen to it, we still hear and process the scratches and the warp sounds, too. A word here about your original song. Each one of us has it. We're born with it. The lyrics and the cadence are the basic rhythm of who we are and who we become in our lifetime. No two songs are the same. 
although they can be similar. The phrase about marching to a different drummer is more profound than we think. And just as with our favorite album that gets scratched and because it's played so often during the process of growing up, socializing and being human. A lot of noise is recorded and laid down over the master track on the record of your life. Sometimes there's harmony and sometimes it's just scratches and odd sounds. The problems arise when we listen to the noise instead of the master track. It's so easy to get lost in a counter rhythm, which is actually someone else's song they want us to sing instead of doing it ourselves. So are you living on autopilot or are you truly following your own dream? Are you singing your original song or parents, a teacher's or a friend's? Sometimes we're distracted by a complete stranger's song and we resonate with it. When we can't distinguish our own any longer, it's possible to mistake another's melody for our own. And we dance happily to it for a while until one day we wake up and realize that there's just that something that's missing from it and we begin a new search. And then one day, we meet someone or hear someone who shows us how to polish that scratchy old record until the noise is not so distracting. It never really goes away, but once we can hear the first few notes of our song once again, it's so much easier to hear the rest of it and ignore the scratches and dust specks. So are you ready to polish your record? I have some stuff to minimize scratches and bring out the beautiful notes of your songs. And what is your original song? Do you think you could still identify it if you heard it? Or are those old records that your personal DJ is playing in your head all the time so scratched and warped that the original melody is completely obliterated? You may think your song is gone, but I assure you it is not. Listen for it intently when you're faced with a choice. It's there, I promise you. And if you think you've forgotten what it sounds like, let me sing a few bars for you to remind you sometime. I've been given the gift of hearing your song. And of course, it may not actually be a song, but what I call your original song is a metaphor for your life's path. It could be a particular melody if music is your dream, but yes, I can uncover what you were born to do, and I do it with several tools I've developed, as well as those I've found that are complementary. Take your original song and sing it loud and sing it strong until it's an anthem, a driving beat that speeds up your heart and moves you forward into your destiny. I believe we're all born on autopilot. A-U-T-O pilot. We're helpless as newborns, completely dependent on others for shelter, nourishment, and affection. We don't think about ways to solve our lack thereof at the time. We just get conditioned to expect those things to be there when we ask for them or scream for them. As we get older and mature a little, we begin to develop autopilot, spelled O-U-G-H-T-A pilots. We learn that to attain X, we need to do what we're told, what we should do or ought to do. We learn to go with the flow and please our parents to get what we think we need. We start listening to those outside our family unit and begin behaviors designed to please them as well. 
Our teachers tell us we should do things a certain way. Our friends and our parents tell us. Our societies tell us. And off we go. And before long, we're just following along with the herd. When things go well and unencumbered, we're perfectly happy to do those things. And sometimes we do them for years. But then someday, one day, something happens and we feel betrayed. And at that point, depending on the type of betrayal, we stop and re-examine our lives. Now, I need to mention when I say betrayal, I'm meaning simply a break in trust, nothing more. It can be something as innocuous as finding out about Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy or something very deeper. But it's all betrayal and it causes an upset and a reset of our worldview. So let me ask you this. Have you ever followed somebody else's idea of what you were cut out to do instead of doing what you were born to do? It's the high school counselor or the grade school counselor's idea of guiding you towards a career in math when what you really want to do is draw, to be an artist or a musician or a forensic psychologist, left brain versus right brain careers. Which one? Which one are you choosing to have versus what you've been urged into. Did your family want you to be a lawyer, an accountant, or follow them into the family business? Sometimes, you know, we substitute responsibility for desire. We take the responsibility, in my case, the responsibility I felt for somebody else's life. Raising my daughter alone required, I thought at the time, putting my dreams on hold to do whatever was necessary so she had a happy life. Had a roof over her head, food on her table, clothes on her back, and I did whatever it took to get that done. And when she became old enough to set out on her own path, I was suddenly faced with the what now question. Where do I go from here? What do I do? All I had done for so long was live for her. When I started looking at things that way, it was actually a very difficult choice, a very difficult decision point because it had been so long, I didn't know what I wanted to do anymore. I mean, I could do anything I wanted to do at that point. But I didn't know what my options were. And so I stayed with what was safe being an administrative assistant, because that's what I knew and the expectations I had. I felt I was pretty safe because I knew what the salary requirements were. I knew where I was going with that. I knew all of the things the job entailed. I knew where it would go or where it wouldn't go and the good and the bad pros and cons. I'd done the job for so long at that point, I thought I knew it all. And actually, by taking the safe road, it just ensured I'd be miserable for another 10 or 15 years until I got so burned out, I was ready to scream. In 1989, I couldn't stand it anymore. And that's when I went back to school to become a respiratory therapist. Because my mother had always wanted me to be in the health field. And I'd started that when I was in college. And I figured, well, this is a perfect time to explore it. I had a deuce of a time going back to school at 37. Chemistry was never my strong suit. More right brain than left brain. And all the math was involved gave me a real headache. I must admit, 
But I did it. I got through it. I was an RT in Modesto, California for four years till I fell on the job and got hurt. I was on the trauma team and I was good at what I did. And I really got a lot out of it. I mean, I had a lot of fulfilling experiences working with people who needed me. I was able to provide a level of care that supported me in my life choices and in my spiritual choices. And I really did enjoy it. And then one thing happened after another. After I was hurt, I couldn't go back to being an RT. So again, I was faced with what now? And I chose again to play it safe, stick to what I knew. And I went back into administrative work. But as a freelance, I became the office coordinator for a man who was a programmer and had a prepaid phone card business. <laughs> that tells you how long ago it was. And really needed somebody to take over all the administrative tasks. Now, that was something I could do in my sleep. And I finally had the decision-making responsibility I craved. I didn't have the working for a boss who knew less than I did about basic business things. He just wanted a program and he was happy doing it. And that was fine with me. He left me alone to do what I did and I left him alone to do what he did. And we had a great working relationship. Again, my role as admin defined me in that situation. So I encourage you to take a look and make a list of all the places your roles identify who you are. For women, what's your primary role? Are you primarily a, 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 a mother? Are you primarily the, the godmother, grandmother, whatever? Are you primarily a wife? Men, same thing. Take a look at what it means for you. What's your perfect vision of your role? And is it calling you to look at how you fill the role successfully? Or is it with a sense of frustration because you're lacking in some way? Is the little voice in your head telling you you'll never stack up? Is the little voice in your head telling you this is the best you can hope for? Or, you know, for those of you who are entrepreneurs doing something on the side, your role as an entrepreneur. What defines you and calls you to be? For me, my role as a coach and docent does call me to constantly improve myself so that I can be a shining example of what I teach. I want to be the absolute best I can be. So what I share is the absolute best I can give. And I do feel I have a message to share with everyone. And I will work tirelessly to do that. I'm going to be doing a virtual retreat the first week in April. So listen to my podcast or go to my website, createdlife.com, for more details. It'll be April 6th on Zoom, and it'll be an online retreat. We'll do a few exercises, and you'll be able to see more clearly where you perhaps have been running on autopilot and explore options for disconnecting them and creating a life of power, passion, and possibility. And as long as I'm talking about my work... Just want you to know I'll be opening registration for my Create Your Life Toolkit the beginning of next month. But I'll be talking more about the toolkit and the Created Life curriculum as we go on. So the other thing I want you to think about today before we go is to ask 
Is your life being dictated by other people's advice or wishes? I mean, we all know about parents and teachers guiding us towards careers they think we'll be good at. But what about talking to your friends and asking for their advice? How are you going to be able to listen to advice versus knowing within yourself whether you're on the right track or not? It's a very, very difficult thing to discern. How do you know you're on the right track? And, oh, my God, what if you make a mistake? How will you deal with all of that? And another question is, what if you fail? Oh, there's a stopper. Here's what I advise. Look deep within yourself and look at all the parts of what it is you're doing. What makes you happy? What serves you? What doesn't make you happy? What no longer serves you? Choose whether or not it's something you can put up with or something you absolutely hate and can't stand doing anymore. And if so, start looking at a lot of other things. If you take my Create Your Life Toolkit course, you'll have a workbook with questions and exercises to help you gain clarity around this very thing. There's an exercise in it that will help you discover what it is you were born to do, what your innate birthright and what tendencies you have that are naturally indwelling and inborn within you. My toolkit will be coming online in a few months. It's the first segment in my Created Life curriculum. There'll be four modules. Each module teaches one of my tools to guide you in identifying and beginning to disconnect the autopilots. The four modules are living on autopilot, identifying autopilots and rediscovering your authentic self or your original song. Watch your mouth, your subconscious is listening. What do you say when you talk to yourself? How does self-talk create your reality and sabotage your dreams? Third one is shake your meaning maker. What meanings have you ascribed to experiences and are they really true? Disconnecting the knee-jerk emotional responses to memories and rewriting your stories. And lastly, the joys of failure or the fine art of falling on your face. We'll look at failure, your definition of it, and learn to use it as a springboard to success. For more information about the toolkit or the curriculum itself, go to my website, createdlife.com. You can sign up for the toolkit there as well once I open the registration, which will be very soon. But I'm also offering a free 45-minute autopilot discovery call that you can sign up for. During this call, we'll talk about your current life, your vision, any stumbling blocks you're experiencing, and see if there are any autopilots holding you back. We can see what your next step can be. And scheduling for that call is at createdlife.com slash schedule. Select the free initial discovery sessions option. So this is Deborah Beatty, the autopilot disconnector, saying until next time, be safe, be well, have fun, and wear a mask. <laughs>